All right, thanks you guys. Well, I hope that everybody here or everybody who's watching from home had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, I wasn't here last week, so uh, let me take the opportunity right now to say happy Thanksgiving to you. I uh, hope it all went well. I, I am sure many of you traveled to visit people. I know that we did. Uh, others of you stayed home. Uh, you had people over to your house, which I, I'm sure was also wonderful. Uh, but if you had people over, I got to tell you, uh, I, I, I feel for you a little bit because it is always harder to be the host than it is to be uh, the guest. When you are the host, you usually feel like you have to make sure that everybody's having a good time, there's enough food to eat and stuff to drink, and, and that your home is presentable because guests notice things about your home and then they make, they make judgments about you based on your home, right? Uh, I say that because Good Housekeeping Magazine recently listed the five most common things guests notice when they enter our homes. The idea of the article uh, was that people check you out based on what's going on inside your home. They assess you, and uh, they said, these are the five things that people notice that tell them something about you. And as I read them to you, um, I want to try something. Would you just keep track like on your hand of how many of these things you would fail if somebody came over to your home right now after church, okay? How many of these five would be things that your guests would not notice you are so great at at your house? Okay, the first, piles of mail lying around. Stacks of mail. Apparently, this gives people the idea that you might be disorganized when you have uh, bills and junk mail and Christmas cards just adding up day after day. Uh, and so good housekeeping, they, they give these recommendations based on these, and they recommend keeping a, a, an empty drawer in your kitchen to throw all of your mail in. Um, problem is, uh, we have a drawer at our house, and then the drawer gets full, and a pile starts right next to the drawer. Okay, second one, you're keeping track on your fingers. Second one, uh, guest notice, dust bunnies and cobwebs. So they recommend getting a broom and a hand, is it hard to look at the picture behind me? A broom and a hand vacuum and you keep an eye on your room corners. Okay, we'll get through that one. Third one, a messy bathroom, a messy bathroom. Now, as I say that, uh, you're like, you don't have to fold the toilet paper like you're at a nice hotel or something, but maybe you know, use some glass cleaner for the mirror. Uh, make sure your toilet's in good shape before people come over. Apparently, guests notice a messy bathroom. Fourth thing, dishes in the sink. Uh, put them in the dishwasher before your guests arrive. Or if you don't have a dishwasher, this is good housekeeping suggestion, rinse them and put them in the oven. <laughs> have any of you ever hid dirty dishes in the oven? I don't even think I did that when I was like dating Andrea in college. All right. Finally, the fifth thing that guests notice, full trash cans. So take out the trash before your guests show up. All right, how many of you admit, uh, admit that at least one or two of those are not what they ought to be if guests showed up at your house right now? Show of hands. All right, a few of us. Some of you are way better than me. All right, well, the truth is, even if you were great at all of those things, by the time your guests arrived for Thanksgiving, if there was no mess inside at your house, it didn't take long until your guests created a mess. Can we agree on that? It is not lost on me, all the work that goes into making Thanksgiving picture perfect. You turn around and within minutes of being done eating, it is a disaster. Uh, Christmas is the same way. In fact, Christmas is worse. Has it occurred to you that we spend the better part of December decorating for Christmas? 
lights and wreaths and trees and ornaments, all of it making our homes look picture perfect. Some of your homes look like they could come straight out of a Norman Rockwell painting. We do all of this decorating in anticipation of this one special day, Christmas. And then December 25th, we wake up in the morning and the first thing we do is make a mess, right? As Americans, check this out, I heard this week, we spend $2.6 billion on gift wrapping every single year, only to wake up on Christmas morning and tear it all apart, turn our living rooms into where, wherever you open your gifts into a disaster zone and throw $2.6 billion of gift wrapping away. We make a mess. Uh, even if your family, like mine, has a garbage bag that you are constantly putting the gift wrapping into as you open the gifts uh, so as not to clutter the house, guess what? It's still not picture perfect anymore because you have a giant garbage bag in your living room. The truth is, even when things look their best, it only takes a few seconds to make a mess. And as we start this new three-week series today leading up to Christmas, we want to talk about the messiness that we encounter this time of year that goes beyond the dirty dishes and the gift wrapping. We want to talk about the mess that we inevitably encounter in each other. Let's be honest. Our lives have mess. Some of us feel like our families are a mess. People are not getting along. Uh, Thanksgiving was really hard for you. Some of us have relational mess where, where we've done some things to break people's trust in us or, or we've had something done to us that is still echoing into our other relationships, causing a mess there. Some of us have emotional mess where we see ourselves responding in ways that we don't want to respond when something happens, but we can't help ourselves. Some of us have a financial mess going on right now. Uh, maybe because of decisions we've made to overextend, maybe because financial mess found us uh, with COVID, with a weakening economy. Maybe you are either in or, or, or close to somebody dealing with a health mess. And so fear, uncertainty that is in you right now, that feels so messy. Some of you would say you're in a spiritual mess right now. You've been struggling a bit with God, who he is, who his people are. You're not even sure what you believe anymore. Um, real quick, if that's you, can I tell you, you're at the right church. We have a soft spot for people in a spiritual mess. Most of our pastors have been there. Anyway, there are all sorts of messes that every single one of us is dealing with. And, and why in the world would we want to spend Christmas season where we're all about creating a picture-perfect existence of holiday tidiness, a place for everything, everything in its place, you've heard that. Why would we want to talk about messes leading up to Christmas? And the reason is that none of our lives are mess-free. And Christmas is about Jesus entering our mess. What we celebrate at Christmas is the time that Jesus stepped out of a picture-perfect heaven and came to earth, making himself a messy human like us. Now, when I say messy human, I think it's easy to agree with that, but still not quite get it. We know that he was born and placed in a manger. That's messy, right? No crib for a bed. And we know he was wrapped in swaddling clothes. That's pretty messy. And, and we, picture, we picture a very sterilized Jesus in this mess. I want you to look at all these paintings right here of Jesus in the manger. 
First thing I notice when I look at these paintings is he is white, which, uh, can we set the record straight? Jesus was born in the Mideast. He was most likely a person with brown eyes, dark brown or black hair and brown skin. But the second thing I notice in all this, this classic art is how he looks. He is glowing. Some of these pictures, Jesus even has a halo. Is it any wonder we picture a sterilized Jesus at Christmas? But here's the truth, here's the truth. Jesus didn't make himself a human to live amidst us in our mess only. He made himself messy. Jesus had to have his diaper changed or, or whatever the ancient equivalent of a diaper was. That line in the song, no crying he makes, you know that line? How did his parents know to change him if he never cried? Of course he cried. And Jesus had acne like the rest of us when he was a teenager. <laughs> And after a day of work as a carpenter, Jesus came home with body odor, right? What I'm saying is there were times that he was a physical mess, but he was probably a mess in other ways. Like back to the carpenter thing, he probably wasn't very good at it at first. Like that's an interesting thought. Have you ever thought about that, that Jesus might not have gotten straight A's? I, I think we sometimes picture Jesus as boyhood Superman. Cal L, who as a toddler was able to lift a truck. If anybody's my age, they remember that Christopher Reeve Superman movie. It's not true. Couldn't be further from the truth. In fact, get this. Our faith in Jesus as the one who rescued us from sin is built on the understanding that Jesus became human and with that came mess. And where that matters, where that matters as we lead up to Christmas, is that God would care enough about you to enter your mess with you, even right now. He cares about you enough to join you in your mess, whatever mess that is. And maybe that's enough today right there. Some of you just needed to hear that. Maybe you're hearing that today for the very first time, the story of Jesus is actually the story of God drawing near to you in whatever mess you find yourself in. But the other reason this matters is that Jesus invites us to join him in getting messy with other people as well. And sometimes I wonder how we really are at drawing near to our friends and our family in their messes. Uh, it seems to me that when somebody around us, someone in our life is in a mess of their own, we all have some tendencies. Um, one of those is to stay away. My life is messy enough. I don't need any of that person's mess on me. Or uh, what we'll do is we'll drop into the mess for a few minutes, and then we have an exit strategy. Do you know what I mean when I say exit strategy, that whole term? Uh, here, many of you will be going to holiday parties this year, and as you pull up to the party, you will turn to your significant other, and you will say, how long are we staying? And one will say, 45 minutes, and the other will say, no, 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 we got to stay at least an hour. And then if you are like Andrea and me, you will decide on a code word. One of you will give the other when it is time to go. <laughs> that is an exit strategy because you want to just drop in. And some of us, we do that with people in our lives who are dealing with a mess. We just drop in. And the reason that we do those things, we stay away, we drop in, they're plentiful. Again, for some of us, it's we don't want to get our friend's mess on us. Um, one pastor told the story about this time. He went out to a restaurant that had amazing ribs. 
Uh, he and his friends all went to this restaurant. These ribs were so good. They drove 50 minutes to get there. The place was packed and the food was great. And it was all you can eat rib night and rib bones were piling up everywhere at this restaurant. Now, you know this, eating ribs is messy, right? Barbecue sauce gets on your face, it gets on your fingers, it gets on your clothes. Uh, dirty napkins pile up next to you uh, with half-eaten bowls of baked beans and coleslaw. And, and when he and his friends had eaten all they could eat, they paid the tab and they waddled out to their car. And that is when the pastor reached into his pocket for his keys and he found nothing. And he started to panic. I actually hoped that he had locked his keys in his car because in the back of his mind, a more disgusting possibility was starting to take shape. Uh, he looked through the window. The keys were not in his car, and he knew only seconds earlier, those keys had slid right off his tray and followed a half-eaten corn cob and several bones to the bottom of a trash can. He had thrown away his keys on all-you-can-eat rib nights. <laughs> Uh, it was far too far for he and his friends to walk home, and so he dove in and he fished through bones and beans and barbecue and corn and, and, and coleslaw and stained saliva-soaked napkins, and he got a layer of trash can slime all over his arms. You all know trash can slime, right? You've been there. But he finally found his keys. Okay, what do you think his friends did while he dumpster dove? They stood off to the side and watched. Actually, somebody at our outdoor service yelled, eight more ribs. <laughs> um, and, and, and I think that one reason that we don't take Jesus up on this invitation to get messy with the people in our lives that we love is we don't want to get somebody else's mess on us. Never mind the fact that Jesus dumpster dove into our world. God left a pristine heaven to search through this filthy, fallen, messy world to find something valuable to him, you. I, I think another reason we don't take up his, his invitation to get messy is some of us, some of us think we're gonna make a mess of the mess. It, is it possible that in trying to come alongside this person you care about in their mess that you could just make it messier? Some of us wonder, do I even know how to help my friend with their mess? I'm not one of those people who's good with all the words, and what if I'm not super compassionate? I don't know what to say or do. And today, good news. We're going to talk about how even you have a role, a position you can play in helping your friends, your family with their mess. See, this series, we're going to look at these moments that Jesus met people in their messes and he invited his followers to do it with him. And I wonder as we do it, if you might hear something that speaks to whatever mess you are in right now that God wants to meet you in. Or you might hear an invitation to join God in entering someone else's. And I want to kick this off, this series, showing you a really good mess story in Luke 5, where Jesus gets involved in a person's mess, but even more, a person's friends get involved in that mess too. And I love this story because I think it paints a picture where you actually might be able to see yourself as one of this person's friends. The story goes that Jesus was at someone's house in a village healing sick people. And Luke 5 says, verse 17, one day Jesus was teaching and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They'd come from every village of Galilee and from Judea, Jerusalem. <clears throat> and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. 
some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. And when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and they lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. And it says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friends, friend, your sins are forgiven. Now, you may have heard this story before. Today, I want you to think of it as the story of a group of friends and the way they decide to enter someone's mess. They have a paralyzed friend who has his own mess and they decide to join him in the middle of it. Now, this is a really quick story, right? It's only like three or four verses. It doesn't really give us a whole lot of backstory, but I would guess what we don't see here but is going on behind the scenes is a group of people who would like to get messy with their friend and they are not good at everything, but each one of those friends is good at something. And the way that they get messy is by doing the thing that they are good at doing. Um, I wanna illustrate this for you. We're, we're, we're gonna talk about the way that this guy's friends get messy. In just a second, we're gonna draw stick figures up that represent the paralyzed man's friends, but I'll be honest, I don't feel good about calling him the paralyzed man over and over again, not real sensitive. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna just call him Joe. We're gonna talk about Joe's messy friends this morning, okay? Now, we do not know how many friends this is in the passage we just read. It does not say, but I would bet among this group, there is a friend who's been spending years trying to cheer Joe up. He's the one that comes around and says, let's hang out, let's talk, let's laugh, let me distract you from what's wrong for a little while. We're gonna call this friend the encourager because the role that he plays in helping Joe in his situation is in lifting his spirits. He's not good at much else, but he is great at making Joe laugh. He is the encourager. And I would bet that he's got a friend who makes him food. He's paralyzed, and I want you to notice something in the passage. His family does not bring him to get healed. Um, in their culture, if you were sick, if you were paralyzed, people assumed that it was because you had done something wrong to deserve that. That is a terrible thing to put on someone. But it's likely that any family that he has have disappeared. And so it's his friends who have probably been providing for him. And, and, and there's one of those who is making him meals. He's probably also got the friend who is the, uh, the pray for you friend or the spiritual friend. What I mean by that is this is the one who goes and intercedes between this guy and God, especially in times when the paralyzed man, Joe, might feel like he cannot go to God himself. Now, my guess is that the spiritual friend, the pray for you friend, probably feels a little bit guilty because that friend sees what the others can do and the other people are so much more tangible and practical. Um, sometimes it seems like he's not doing enough, especially because so far the prayers have not changed the situation. But make no mistake, these prayers matter because one day this prayer of the spiritual friend gets answered. He hears that Jesus is coming to town and he's excited because he's heard that in other cities, part of Jesus' routine is healing people. He regularly shows up and heals people. And this friend thinks, could this be the answer to my prayer right here? But he's not the only friend who's heard about Jesus because this guy, Joe, has another friend who is the event planner. Do you know what I mean when I say the event planner? 
Like this is the friend that has a printed out calendar of everything that is going on in the village and is organized with a color-coded system of what things happen on what days and what the cover charges are to get in and when we take BART, what stop we're gonna get off at. This is the event planner. Do you all have that person in your life? They got it all figured out for you. They know the movie times, they've reserved your seats on Fandango, they've made dinner reservations. Usually they're a little bit controlling so this event planner friend has heard that Jesus is coming as well. And this person says to the group, you know, we've got to take our buddy to see Jesus because spiritual friend over here thinks that Jesus might be able to heal him. And I have figured out what day we're all available and what, what time we should go. I just don't know how we're going to get him there. And that moment, another friend pipes up. I've got a mat that we can carry him. This is practical friend. Practical friend, cannot cook to save his life, feels uncomfortable praying, can't organize a group, but practical friend can like MacGyver anything. <laughs> Not new MacGyver, old MacGyver. And he says, if we take four sticks, like thick branches, and we lay them parallel horizontally, and then we, we attach them to the bottom of this mat, and we get eight of us to get around it, we can each like grab a side, and we can carry him to this house where Jesus is gonna be. And so all of the friends agree to the idea, and they tell Joe about their plan. And Joe gets excited, he has hope something is going to happen. He's going to be able to walk again. And they get to the house where Jesus has been healing all morning, and it is packed. The crowds are so thick, there's no way to even get in the door. And most of these friends who are like on nine, on a one to ten scale of eagerness and excitement and, and hope for their buddy, in this moment, panic sets in, in discouragement, and they see that this isn't going to work. But there is one friend who I have not told you about yet, who is the strategist. Ba, ba, ba. He is the idea guy. There is no problem that he does not get excited about solving. In fact, until this moment, he was bored with this plan. This plan was terrible. There's nothing for me to do. And this guy sees everybody get down and, he get, and get discouraged. And this guy goes, wait, I have an idea. And everybody says, oh, no. Because that's how groups respond when an idea guy says, wait, I have an idea. Uh, I know, because this happens to me every day around here. And he says, he says, these old houses, they have tile roofs. What if we somehow get up on the roof, we somehow remove some of those tiles, and we lower our paralyzed friend down to where Jesus is with all of those crowds? Like we just Tom Cruise and Mission Impossible him down to <laughs> Jesus. And everybody says, no way, we can't do that. That's like breaking and entering. That's property damage, and it's dangerous. And one more friend who's good at construction. This is the construction friend. The friend says, actually, I did skylight installation for about five years before the re recession of 2008. I know how to cut holes in roofs. I can do it in such a way this homeowner is not going to kill us. In fact, I'll throw in a skylight when we're done, and it'll probably raise the value of his home. All right. Probably none of that is true. Probably, I'd say it's like a 30% chance that that's the way that that went down. But what is true is that a team of friends all wanted to get involved in their friend's mess, but each one was good at something. They weren't all good at everything. Each one was good at something, and they showed up, and they got messy in the way each one of them 
could do messy well. They all showed up to get messy with their friend. Now, Jesus sees their faith. That's what it says. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, look at that last line. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. It doesn't say he saw the man's faith. It says he saw the man's friend's faith. Jesus responds to their faith. This is another topic for another time, but do you know why we pray for people as a church? Do you know why we have this prayer time on the first Sunday of every month down front here with pastors and elders? It's because we believe that God honors the prayers of those who intercede on their friend's behalf. That even when you cannot find faith, somebody else can find faith for you and ask for God's help. Anyway, Jesus forgives his sin. And then look at the end here, verses 24 and 25. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. And immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and he went home praising God. And this man gets out of his mess because Jesus met him in it. But not just Jesus, his friends joined Jesus in the mess. Now, as one who reads these Bible stories a lot, I find myself asking the question, why is this one in the Bible with such unique detail? I mean, Jesus healed a lot of people, and the Gospels have many of these stories, but this one talks about a roof getting cut open, lowering a man down on a mat. And I think the reason is because we are supposed to see what it looks like to enter a mess with someone that you love. And, and I want to give you two real easy lessons from this as we start this series about getting a little bit messy alongside Jesus. The first easy lesson from this story, you don't have to jump into every mess. From what we can tell, these guys do not start a taxi service helping people get to Jesus and lowering everybody through ceilings. You do not have to get involved with everyone that you come across whose life is a little bit messy. Uh, we've talked before around Crosswinds about doing for one person uh, or a few people what you wish you could do for everyone. These guys do for their one friend in this case. First lesson, you don't have to jump into every mess. Now, will you turn to somebody next to you, look them in the eye and say, you don't have to jump into every mess. Would you find somebody around you and say that to them? Some of you want to say to each other, you may want to, but you don't have to jump into every mess. Okay, second lesson, you don't have to jump in every way. Think about that. You don't have to be spiritual friend or personal therapist friend when you were made to be MacGyver friend. Many of us feel like the thing we are supposed to do when somebody's going through a tough time, whatever the supposed to is, many of us feel like it can be awkward and uncomfortable. And because of that, oh man, so many of us just shy away altogether. Or some of us, we push through and it is awkward and uncomfortable for our friend who needs help too. 
And usually the reason is because we have a preconceived notion of what getting messy with somebody looks like. But the fact is, you have a unique thing to bring to someone in a mess. You have a unique gift to give to that person. When I say that, I'm not talking about spiritual gifts. Those of you who've heard about those before, uh, ways that we've been equipped by the Holy Spirit to serve, this is different. Um, You have a special way you were made to get messy with someone. And you've got to figure out what that is. And when you do, it will change everything about your fear or your sense of incompetency when it comes to joining Jesus in your friend's mess. Now, can I tell you why the second lesson changes everything? It's because it flips the question we often ask. I want to show you the question. This is a question we often ask when we find out that somebody is in a mess, they're going through a tough time. Here's what it is. Will you read it with me? What do they need? Somebody had a miscarriage. What do they need? How, how can, what do they need? Someone lost a job. What do they need? Somebody is sick. They've been diagnosed with a serious illness. All right, what do they need? Someone has gotten bad news about something that one of their children is going through. What do they need? That sounds like the best question in the world because it's focusing on the other person. Can I tell you? It is also the most intimidating question you could ever ask yourself because what if what they need, you can't give? That question, you're usually afraid to find out the answer. But here's what the story we just read illustrates for us. A better place to start when it comes to jumping into a mess, a better question to ask is what can I give? What is it that I am in a position and I have the skills to give right now. What they need is important. You shouldn't give it if they don't need it. But here's the truth. You're not good at everything. You're good at something. And you can use that something to be supportive and you have an authentic gift to give somebody in need. You should probably know what that is. Now, as we get ready to close, can I tell you why this is so important? Because jumping into your friend or your family member's mess does not just result in a mess potentially getting cleaned up. Here's what it results in often. Someone needing Jesus. In this story, Joe's messy friends literally bring him to Jesus and look at what happens. Verse 20, Jesus says to him, Joe, your sins are forgiven. Think about that. The reason that Jesus invites us to join him into to someone's mess, because you joining him might be where your friend gets pointed to him who's been there in the mess with them all along. Make no mistake, we should get messy because it's the right thing to do, because we love people. But we should get messy because it is the best way to introduce someone to Jesus. I want to close asking you to do something today, just like right now. Would you think about a mess in someone's life around you? I don't mean around you like they're sitting next to you, although they could be sitting next to you right now. I just mean in your orbit, all right? Think about a mess in somebody you know's life. You have somebody, at least one someone, someone you work with, someone you live with, someone that you know and very likely love. And would you ask yourself this? Which messy friend am I? Am I the spiritual one? Am I the practical one? Am I the encourager? Am I supposed to be the chef? You can come up with a bunch of other ones. What friend am I? 
And what can I give? What can I bring? What unique way might I be able to help with the mess and introduce to Jesus, the one who made himself messy to be among us? As I ask you to do that, can I just drop a little nudge for you? There is someone that you know, someone you likely love in a mess that needs to be here at one of our Christmas services to hear about a Jesus who has come to bring them life and wonder again. And, and what if you spent enough time in that person's mess over the next few weeks that you could bring them? What, what if you became one of Joe's messy friends on Christmas Eve? You don't need to cut a hole in our roof. Just get them a ticket, save them a seat, <laughs> and say, Jesus, what would you want to do for my friend? All right, will you stand with me? Let's stand. We'll pray together before we go. God, I am struck as we start the Christmas season that you are, are more than a baby in a manger, but that you are a human come to live in our mess and even get a little of our mess on you. Actually, God, a lot of our mess on you as Jesus ends up on the cross. And I think today about how you have modeled for us what it looks like to come alongside others whose lives are not clean and perfect, they don't have it all together, and to allow ourselves to get a little mess on us too. And so right now, I just ask that you would be putting those names of people on our hearts. God, that you would be softening us to what it looks like to get into mess with somebody and God, I ask, I ask in the middle of all of us, that, that all of this, that you would be letting us know what messy friend each one of us is supposed to be. And all God's people said, amen. All right, thanks for coming today. We'll see you next week.